Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast called The Giggle Economy. I'm your host, David Moscoro, a currently quarantined comedian living in Austin, Texas, waiting for the time I can get back and safely tell jokes on stage. But in the meantime, every week I sit down with a new guest and we talk about the jobs that shaped our lives. How are you? Doing well? Happy 2021 again, if you didn't if you didn't listen to last week's episode, which was season two premiere with Seth Milstein. Go back and listen to that. It's a great episode. Um, I hope you're having a good day. I hope you, wherever this is uh, being listened to, you are safe and happy. Right now, I'm in Austin, Texas. It was a little bit blizzardy. I say blizzard. It, it's more like if, I mean, Dairy Queen has bigger blizzards than what we just <laughs> had. It was uh, a flurry of snow, um, but it stuck. And you can see some of the snow pictures that I put on my Instagram at David Moscoro. Uh, also, while you're on my Instagram at David Moscoro, um, you can follow, uh, you can look in the bio and all the link trees to everything else, the YouTube, the Facebook, the Twitter, all that stuff is on there. Go and follow me there if you want. Um, it's been a crazy day. Uh, it's been a crazy week. This episode's a little weird than, uh, weirder than normal. Uh, it's still me. It's still me talking to a guest, but the thing is, it's going to be an interview like time capsule. It's going to be an interview from 2012 or 2013. So I used to do a podcast called The Awkward Phase. And on that um, podcast, I would uh, usually sit down at a bar or a patio or some kind of thing in public. And I would bring my Zoom mic and a couple of microphones and I would plug in and I would have a conversation with people that I admired in the local Portland comedy scene because I was still coming up. I was still learning how to tell jokes so I wanted to get to know these people better and kind of, you know, learn how to uh, be a better communicator. And I hope that you can hear that. So I hope I'm not, I hope I've gotten better over time. I don't know. It's been, like I said, this is seven years ago. So I may be better back then. I, have, I haven't listened to this episode, but I know, I know enough and I've had enough people tell me that if I was going to share an episode, this one would be a good one to do that for. We will come back with uh, new episodes next week. So if you've heard that episode from the awkward phase, if you've been following me for a long time, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. But if you're new to the podcast and you're like, I didn't know you had a podcast before this, well, this is going to be a treat for you. Um, It's going to be, like I said, it's a weird time capsule thing. So if you hear me reference things that sound a little old or you hear the public, you're like, no, no, Dave's not being safe. And I was being safe. I was being safe for the world of 2012, 2013, that kind of thing. Uh, But other than that, I have nothing else to say. I hope you all are being safe and hopefully your resolutions are going well or whatever you're doing to make your new year special for you. I hope everything's going well for you. I'm very happy and very content and it's a little bit of uh, cold here in Austin. Uh, we had a little bit of snow. Uh, I, I, at one point, I was trying to do this, uh, trying to think about my intro. I was like, oh, we had a blizzard. It was like Dairy Queen has bigger blizzards. It's really just like a, it was a pretty good snow stuck for a while, but then it rained and then it disappeared. It was just like a, it was like a cotton candy faux blizzard. So, you know, so it was here, it was pretty stuck on the ground and now i think it's mostly gone so it was nice to see snow but in texas it's it's a it's a rarity i think um but it was a fun day i'm now i'm here in the editing bay finishing up my intro and that's it and i've i've just been uh staying busy and getting ready to do shows and waiting to get that vaccine as soon as it becomes available and i hope you are being safe and i hope you are getting ready for new and exciting things and yeah that's it 
So please enjoy uh, our interview from the past with a very hilarious comedian named Jason Traeger. And we're going to go into all the specifics about it when you hear it. But like I said, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, without further ado, this new episode is going to start in three, two, one. You living here and talking about apartments. Yeah. You got your own apartment. You're like, you do yes. appreciate that before you can get, you feel like you're going to get moved out or priced out. Yes. Oh, God. I hope it doesn't ever happen. Yeah. Um, I would say, I, if I could sign a 10 year lease at this place, I would. Yeah. <laughs> be like, okay, lock it in. What neighborhood do you live in? Right by Helium and uh, Inner Southeast. Oh, very nice. Like a, in that area. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I drive, I've, I, one of the great blessings of this particular moment in my life is that I never commute in a car. I mean, I, it's a five-minute walk to my work. Yeah. And then comedy, uh, Helium's the five-minute walk. Funhouse Lounge, 10-minute walk. It's yeah. just like, it's an amazing spot. You do seem like a man of many walks, if I can say that. Uh, um, you mean physical walking? Physical walking. Yes, I walk of, a lot. Of just, of just why... why uh, Keep yourself from looking around if you can. Oh yeah, yeah, I enjoy yeah. it. I feel yeah, like absolutely. I think did you well, ever? Have you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think good. I think well on on walks. It's a good play to think. Yeah. Are you? Uh, have you ever owned a car? Oh yeah, I own a car. I've owned the same car actually for. God, I have a '96 Toyota Corolla that I bought in 1998. So and it had like 50,000 miles, and I've driven it this entire time, and it's amazing. Yeah. Never conked out. Never had a problem with it. You also seem like a, a guy, if I may say. That just takes care of things, like do you, the things, the clothes that you own, the hat that you own, like everything that you, who you are. Do you tend, do you tend to go through a lot of the things that you own, or, or do you very like? Well, yeah, with your I, I, I did the Marie Kondo method this year. What if is you've that? Heard of that? It's a, it was a best-selling book called uh, "The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up." Okay, and it's a sensation. Tons of people, every lots of people would know about it. Um, big pop culture thing um, from Japan, but popular here and all over the world. And she just has this very simple, straightforward, holistic way of organizing and just uh, orientating yourself towards your possessions. Yeah. Um, not hokey spiritual stuff, but I mean, but just very like, you know, treat your possessions a certain way, think about them a certain way, and then uh, basically she walks you through this process of getting rid of stuff. Yeah. And I got rid of about half my possessions. Oh, really? In, I'd say, February. Yeah. And <clears throat> fantastic. What do you think was the easiest thing to give away? Like for me, I, I am a little bit of a hoarder. I collect, I'll give you an example of what I mean by give. Like I have birthday cards from my parents because I'm afraid sure. that I might forget what their handwriting might look like. So I keep that stuff. Of course. Yeah. And so like, well, like Marie Kondo would say about that, she's like, yeah, we'll keep five of them. Don't keep 55 of them. Okay. You know, pick out the five that truly matter to you. That yeah. when you see it, you go, that has a message and the handwriting and it's something, or it's so funny or whatever, yeah. or it's just that, that's so my dad to say that. Pick, you know, Five of them for dad and five for mom. That's it. You got yeah. 10 of them. You don't have to have 55. You don't have to have every note your mom ever wrote you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make them better. It actually yeah. makes those five worse because they're cluttered in with a bunch of ones that aren't so important. Yeah. And that's like the condo thing, and uh, which is great. And I did that same kind of thing. I went through photos, you know, of trips to Europe that I did in the 80s, you mm -hmm. know, where I'm just like, picture of a castle. Here's a picture <laughs> of a rock. Here's a picture of a gray sky. And, you know, here's a, but, you know, I'm just like, 
these mean nothing to me or any other human being. Yeah. You know, just throw them away. But because it's not keep, you in and the keep, castle. Yeah, and yeah. keep the 10 that like really reflect that trip yeah. or the 15 or scan them in. That's the other option. You, know, yeah. you don't have to throw, you know, photos away. You can just scan them all if you want them, but that's probably garbage in, in digital form. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that 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 definitely helped me a lot. I mean, and she teaches, and she goes through it all. I mean, like the the whole, the easiest thing to get rid of is clothes. Okay, and that's and that's why you start with clothes, and you don't you don't organize by um, room, you know, uh, or you do it by item. Okay, so you gather all your clothes from every closet, the front closet, the back closet, under your bed, whatever, old ones, new ones, summer ones, winter ones, all together in one room. Throw them on the floor, and then start going through them one by one. Okay, until you you know, and then you ask yourself like, does this thing bring me joy? Do I look forward to wearing this shirt? Does this thing make me feel better when I wear it, or do I not like the way it really fits and it's old style, but it's kind of nice and I feel guilty because it was really expensive? Blah blah. You know, get rid of it. Okay. Yeah, that kind of thing. And so I did that, and it through all my possessions. From and she takes you through it, and you start with clothes, and you end with personal mementos that are irreplaceable, like a letter from mom. And then she, but by that time, you're so good at it, and yeah. you've, you've got a discerning uh, eye and decision, and you kind of have a method of talking to yourself about your possessions. So you get to the really hard stuff, and even that isn't hard. Yeah. What was the what was the most what what kind of like did you have any point in the middle or in and towards the end that like kind of like you had to sit and reflect on what's important about this? Like I was part. reflecting on it the whole time. Okay. It's a very meditative thing. The other thing about it is you don't do it like uh, a couple hours here, a little bit there, and just kind of string it out over the course of six months. It's like either take a week off work and just be the, at your house or at a time when you can, can devote like five days yeah. to just continuous work or like I did it, I, I set every, every weekend aside with no breaks for, and for like maybe two months. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it was... I was so, I mean, it was enjoyable. I mean, I cried. You know, there's times where I'm just like bawling because yeah. Yeah, I'm just reading like letters from mom and I believe in you and, mm-hmm. you know, something I got tw- you know, 15 years ago. And, and, and then you see something funny and, but, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And the whole process was, oh, it's just super essential. Yeah. Well, that's great. great. Control. And uh, so now you're down to, you said half? You got yeah, I probably got rid of half my stuff. Yeah, so that's pr- that's pretty good. I feel like that's. A- I was just looking at the other day where, like, where I, I, I was before I came here to record this with you, I kind of uh, I was in a hurry. We got, just got off work. I wanted to go home and shower and grab everything to record with, and I had this need to uh, straighten up yeah. my area mm-hmm. before I left. Yes, it was one of those weird things where it's like I, I put down the towel. Yeah, I put down the clothes I wore for work, and I was like, no, I'm gonna put my clothes away. Yes, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put this towel up. I'm going to straight. I, I straightened up my shoes. Yeah. I wasn't even like oh, yeah. getting. I was just straightening up my shoes, and I'm like, okay, now I feel like I'm ready. What is yes. that? What is that feeling that That's makes called us being an adult? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean, in my mind, yeah. it feels like an adult thing to yeah. do. To be like, it matters not for any societal reason. Yeah. It's not trying to impress somebody. It matters because it makes my life feel more ordered. Yeah, it's just pragmatic, and my I can think better. And I feel more dignity yeah. when my room is not like a high school kid's, mm-hmm. you know, when it looks nice and it's not, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to impress anybody. The only person who sees it is my girlfriend yeah. and she wouldn't judge me either way. Yeah. And, but, but it's not for her, it's for me yeah. it's, and for us and for everybody and for anybody. And it's, and it's just like, yeah, I have the same way. I mean, I'll let my room get a tiny bit out of control, like throwing clothes on the mm-hmm. floor a few times, but always on, you know, it's put away soon. And the thing with the condo method is you get the, your place in set. Yeah. And then you don't have to clean all the time and reorganize because yeah. it's organized. You just, everything has a place and it goes in that place. And when it's not in that place, it's, it's a mess. And when you put it back in that place, it looks orderly. Yeah. And that's what's been really nice. 
If I could, if I could, if I could inquire into your life, are you a hanger person or are you a fold your shirt kind of person? I'm a condo method. So what she is has this? a she has a whole thing for okay. that too. She's always like, don't hang anything you don't need to that doesn't okay. need to be hung. Everything should be folded because fold and, and there's a very specific method for folding, mm-hmm. which, which I learned and I've stuck to religiously post okay. post condo. She has a whole videos on online about like how to fold a t-shirt, how yeah. to fold uh, your pants, how to fold all these things, and and you it's counterintuitive. In the sense that a lot of people think if you hang it, yeah. it's the least wrinkly. But the real thing is, it takes a way too much space for one thing. A lot of things don't do be- well hanging. Mm-hmm. It kind of stresses the fabric or whatever of a lot yeah. of different, especially dresses and things. And but with folding, if you fold correctly, yeah. it's so not wrinkly. Like I'll pull a t-shirt now, and all my t-shirts are stacked upright yeah. in little rows, so you can look at them like records in a record. That's beautiful. So, yeah. So you see them, and and none of them. She, she she talks about material objects with this interesting kind of philosophy that's almost animist, where she you know she's like, would you want to be the t-shirt at the bottom of a pile of fifteen t-shirts that never sees the light of day? No. That never gets used because you don't ever get that far that's always going to be there you know getting crushed and smushed and never seen it getting cold and dark no you make all t-shirts that you like equal they're yeah. sitting in a row and they're all equal and you fold them in such a way that they stand upright perfectly yeah and she uses a lot of simple stuff like shoe boxes and things to like sort of like socks in the shoe box and these perfect little orders that's a great one i never thought about that before oh, it's so simple and How nothing, nothing with her is, is like buy this product or yeah. whatever everything's just like you have everything you need just get rid of stuff. Were you recommended this book, or were, did oh, you come across totally. it? Uh, oh, I, oh, was I recommended it yeah. by someone? Did, did I, someone give this to you, or how did you come across think it initially? it was my girlfriend uh, mentioned it, and she was like, oh, there's this thing that a lot of people are doing, and then I, and she'd never read it or yeah. anything, and I just looked at a video. Yeah. It was a talk by her, I think, um, like a lecture. She doesn't speak English well, but she had an interpreter. And I was like, oh, I'm going to read this thing. And then I, they had the book on tape. Yeah. That, was what, that was what happened, yeah. That was actually the thing that really converted me was they had the book on tape on YouTube. And I just listened to that like three times in yeah. a row. It was probably like a four-hour thing that I would just listen to, like a yeah. podcast. And I just got entranced by her like way of talking. Again, not her voice, but her writing voice. Um, and just the whole idea of it, I was like, oh, this is so simple and it's so not gimmicky. Mm-hmm. And I see why it really resonated with people for that reason because it's, you know, it's not like throw one thing away every day for 30 days and then if you don't want it blah blah, blah you know yeah. it's like no nobody does that yeah and it, who has the time to think about this stuff this is like short sharp shock get control of your stuff have a good emotional relationship with all your possessions and you'll feel better yeah uh what was one piece of article of clothing i know we've talked about shirts and, and you're the, that you really like found that like through the process you're like oh i missed you or or like a, a pair of shoes or a, or a hat or something that really like i haven't seen this article clothing in a while. I guess I really didn't have that experience in particular per okay. se. I, what I did have was the experience of like getting rid of all the, the, the stuff I didn't like. What was something that you gave away that you're like, why, like, what, can you describe what it was? It was just not a color you use anymore? Did it didn't fit? Well, you know, I mean, it's like, I buy a lot of stuff at thrift stores, you know, like uh, okay. vintage stores and, and you know, well, I just buy shirts, you know, I don't buy custom yeah. or, or fitted shirts, you know, so my shirts are, and a lot of times they'll be like, oh, this is a nice fat pattern, but, you know, the arms are too low and maybe it's a little grippy in the yeah. shoulders, but I kind of wear it anyways, even though I, di- I don't really love the way it feels. Yeah. And I'm just like, life's too short for that. I'd rather have Eight shirts, and that, that's what I was going to say, was like the thing I did discover was the value of the things I kept. Yeah. Was like, whoa, I never realized how cool these shirts are and how cool they look together when they're all kind of in a, I start seeing a style. And it's yeah. not just kind of like a bunch of crap that I don't really like cluttering up this closet that's all packed too tightly. You Your know? personality emerges throughout, like you, like you see everything yeah. ahead and of you. Yeah, and the personality of the, of the objects. You yeah. Know? You can kind of appreciate 
and that that's what it is. It's almost like a sculpture, a sculpture the way a, a reductive reductive form of art is. Yeah. You know, it's about it's not about adding, it's about chipping away. Mm-hmm. And the thing the thing is revealed, like us maybe style or what your taste is now, is revealed by getting rid of shit you've been holding on to too yeah. long. And uh, so I guess I discovered like more of a style. And I also feel, you know, with comedy, like doing stand up, you know, you it is such a stripped down art form. Mm-hmm. That you know, your clothing and how you decide to wa- dress on stage is a no matter what, it's a part of the thing. Yeah. It's a, a and if you walk out with a big T-shirt on, it's a part of your act. You know, yeah. it's a part of what you're doing. And if you walk out looking you know, neat and clean and kind of you know, it's that's it's a statement. It is very interesting. I was talking yesterday. We were I was telling you about the show that we did in a pie shop uh, where we didn't have a microphone. I was and then I told the crowd how interesting it is to be thankful for amplification. Like when you don't have it oh, and yeah. you realize you're like. We were in broad daylight in a pie shop, which was a lovely venue. Yeah. But it's, it's like place. it it was really hard to connect with anyone. You like you couldn't be subtle and nuanced no. with just a loud emoting voice. Yeah. It's completely like it, different. It's it's it was so hard to uh it was it, w- it went well, but it wasn't it could it, I feel like it could have been better. Yes. And it's just that kind of thing where it's like you it's not we were it's 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 interesting to see the importance of things that you don't normally see the importance of until they're gone. Yeah. So that was very nice yeah. to do that. And I love that book. What is that book called again? The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up yeah. by Marie Kondo. I'm going to look that up. So, uh, uh, Hello, everybody. We're here with Jason Traeger. This is the Awkward Face Podcast. Hello. How are you, Jason? It's wonderful to be here. Uh, I wrote down some notes because I know we have some limited time. I wrote down um, some. I wrote down Endless Joy, and I just I just put a question mark because I think that you are a man of, 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 of endless joy in a way that uh, has maybe come through... You've probably seen a lot of things that I don't know about. I don't think we've actually really talked ever one on one, but you seem like a man when I when I see you on stage, very, very prolific and stylistic to your own. How like I feel like you have no equal on the comedy scene, and I don't mean that in a, a ranking way or judgmental way. I just mean like when you go out there, it's such a interesting thing. It's like stylistically it's like, unique. You mean? It's not, yeah, it's just, I mean like almost like jazz, but I don't want to categorize you hey, even man. that much. But it was just <laughs> fun to watch you go up there and really be in the moment as much as possible and to to really like if you're going one way, you're the when you when you start and then seeing if something happens to you just turn the ship 180 degrees and go a different way if that like I remember one time I saw you at the bar the god show that we do and flower people walked in Oh yeah, the flower people. I remember and that. People how dressed your, as big how your flowers. People just walked in as gi- giant flowers, and they wanted to interact with the show because they're dressed like giant flowers. Yeah, I remember that. You just uh, what did I engage them in a conversation about why they were dressed like giant flowers, mm. and it was just this. You weren't you weren't you weren't talking. You weren't uh, saying they were any. They were saying they were foolish or crazy. You were just kind of like, what's how did this come along? And it was just such an interesting conversation. It was such a genuine. I think everyone was looking for you to like be maybe mean or mm-hmm. or malicious toward them, and yeah. you were just like, "No, that's beautiful." Like you were just like, "You, yeah. you're, you're two flowers, and are you dating?" And like, yes. like, "You are dating." Well, it's interesting when two flowers date, and it was something like it was really interesting to watch. And I think that's why I was wanted to talk to you today. But do you feel like you're a person of endless joy? If you feel like, or do you feel like, what what kind of defines the day to day process of your um, of your mental state? What do, what do you, how, how do you how does it fluctuate? Um, it runs the gamut. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very much, I think of myself as, I mean, it's funny to talk about endless anything, but uh, yeah. I kind of feel like, you know, when I'm in a state of joy, like I yeah. feel like I am right now, I it does seem endless. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm like, why would this not be a sort of static state in my life? Why yeah. can I not maintain this? I mean, I feel this now. Nothing has radically changed since, you know, some time when I might have felt terrible in my life and big pictures. You know, there's no, no remarkable thing you could point to that's like changed my life so much in the past, whatever, that, to, to, make, to make me in the, the current state I am. Yeah. But uh, somehow it's here. And I, I just look at it as a little bit like grace. You know, yeah. there's just times where it's like, hey, if you're doing pretty good, you're feeling all right and things are good and you got a good little setup going. What does grace mean to you? Is it just thankfulness for the yeah, things that you have? things you can't control. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just so much of what we have and are given are is just pure dumb luck. Yeah. And you I was know? thinking about the endless joyness now. Now, this this before you started mentioning the book that you, endless joy, you can't have, you really, like you said, you really can't because then it just becomes meaningless. Well, it's a classic, you know, just you can't know one without the yeah. other, you know. and Moderation I mean, in all yeah. forms. And, and like I've that, tried to get more towards the middle. You know, I take a very low dose of uh, antidepressants, like okay. a 0.5 milligram, and I even do that like every other day. So just a, you know, little amount. And I feel like maybe that helps me. But I, because the thing is, I just used to have such wide... Uh, uh, swings? Swings, yeah. Okay. The depths would be so deep and just like, you know, so bleak. And maybe it's also just age, you know, you just get to a certain point, it's like, dude, everything's cool, it's fine, there's no big, you know, you just kind of get past so many yeah. of the things. They just, it's not even through, again, not through like any personal action or work necessarily that I can point to, it's just the general work of being alive and just maintaining and just, I don't know, certain energy just dies down and other energy comes up and lately, yeah, I'm just really grateful and I go, yeah, you get also so aware of how, th how bad things can be and how yeah, tough they can be exactly, and how shitty and how lucky you are for the things you have and, you know, it's just like, fuck man, be thankful yeah. and, and be proactive and be, you know, good towards yourself and towards others and it makes you feel better. Yeah. Can you can you think of a time, like what age around the time that you started noticing? Maybe, maybe were you aware of the swings in your mood at, at oh, a certain always, age? Yeah. Just always. always? Always, yeah. And so what would, what would set you off? Would it be like your, did you grow up in a, where did you grow up, by the way? I, didn't, I don't think I've ever asked you I was you born in Seattle, and I grew up in Seattle in the Seattle suburbs um, okay. most of my life. But then a lot of, I mean, a lot of, up until ele the end of elementary school, then we moved. I, my parents got divorced when I was about four. Okay. And so I split time between the two of them, summers with mom, weekends with mom, then school with dad, weekends with dad during the summer. Siblings? Kind of thing. One brother, okay. one half-sister, three step-siblings. Okay. What, what was that dynamic like? Good, good, uh, good dynamic with your siblings, or did you like as much Very as you could? Very close my brother. My okay. brother is two years different than me. My, my difference, older than me, my uh, half-sister is like... Uh, 10 or 15, you know, something like 10 years younger yeah. than me. So she, I didn't grow up with her at all. Yeah. I mean, she was like a baby when I was like, whatever, 11. What was the temperament of, of all of the rest of your siblings? Did it go up and down and fluctuate as yeah. children? Or like Gavin, well, I look at my brother as like my only real just, yeah. I mean, like my contemporary of the same two parents. Yeah. You know, I don't mean real siblings because I'll consider them all family. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's similar to me. Lots of ups and downs. Probably even maybe more extreme. I don't know. What's a moment that you remember with through a lot that, more. that solidifies some, like a, a brother? Like, you know, you're telling me you're close to him. What, what's, what was a moment that you can remember that really solidified uh, your relationship with him? That, was it like a camping trip? or the time he had a stroke and I held his penis as he urinated. <laughs> well, that's, that is definitely an answer. <laughs> it's pretty, you know, I was like, wow, you're really my brother. Can we, can we back it up a little bit and explain a little bit more? I gloved up. <laughs> okay. I did glove up. You did glove up. So he, he had a stroke. Yeah, in his 30s. A very crazy, unfortunate, okay. fucking horrible thing. The the body just 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 at a some stroke. point, yeah. And then, uh, 
you where did where did these did you just have random gloves ready available? Well, I was in, he was in the hospital. Okay. Yeah. Were I you? was visiting him. Okay. You were he visiting? was living in Oakland. I was living in Olympia, Washington. I think okay. at the time. I don't know what year this was. It was probably a long. I'm so bad at recalling time. Like yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Maybe. Um. And uh, yeah, probably ten years ago. More than that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and he had a stroke at his w- job. Just a fucking crazy stroke. So, one, where does the penis thing come in? Two, the Be- glove thing. Well, like, what after is, yeah. a stroke, you know, you can, it can affect you a lot of different ways and yeah. a lot of different severity, and you can't have muscle. Your muscles, oftentimes people have a pal- palsy kind of thing on one side. Yeah. Because it's... Depending on what hemisphere I know, of the yeah, brain, seems, yeah, yeah. So he he luckily had his language facility because it was on the other side of his brain, so he could speak fine. But his face was completely droopy on one side, and his arm didn't work at all, and he couldn't stand. You know, I mean, it's it's it, it's a, such a harsh thing. Mm-hmm. Strokes are so harsh. Yeah, I mean, a heart attack's gnarly physically and stuff, and emotionally. I mean, they're both incredibly harsh. Yeah, but like the stroke being on your brain. Yeah, and my brother already has a history of depression, like I do. Yeah, um, and from that, so I mean, it was just like it was years of recovery. It must be interesting. It must be interesting and very difficult to like because you feel like you've established your life at a certain point you've learned like through the process of of life you've learned to walk you've learned to talk sure you've learned to pick up things and and eat and then to have that have that maybe reset like someone just like something blew a fuse and having to relearn that must be frustrating to a point it's very frustrating did you help him during rehab or anything like that yeah as much as i could yeah so Um, how's he he doing right now he's uh doing quite well Yeah. yeah he's a he works for a really high-end art preparator in London. He lives yeah. in London, has a family oh, wow. there with That's two amazing. kids. Yeah. Yeah, he does like, you know, I think they just, that big, okay, the famous Andy Warhol that yeah. just sold, it was like a dollar bill that Andy Warhol's, and it was like sold for like $25 million, I think. Yeah. Like last week. Yeah. It was a big news story. My brother was one of the team that framed that. Wow. So that's the kind of shit they're working with. That's amazing. They do all Damien Hurst's uh, stretcher bars and stuff. Okay. I'm unfamiliar, so, but I'm, um, I'll look it up. He's so. just, you know, one of the top money guys yeah. in art. Very um, cool. So yeah, so he's got a good gig doing that, and uh, he's done that all his life. He did it in Oakland. Um at a f- nice frame shop there too, like a high-end one, and uh, yeah, and he's married to an awesome woman. They have two cool kids. I'm yeah. actually going to be in Hawaii with them uh, in about a week. That's exciting. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Uh, going to the list that I have right now, it was also like it's it's very interesting. I, I wrote uh, when I watch your comedy, what I could I uh, just say like I said, besides the joy, uh, I also said foley artist and I put co- uh, slash poet on there because hmm. like these noises and this fun like this fun like delivery style that you have and i had no idea like the thing about your brother and like it's it's almost like you you t- you tend how to, would you know that i held my brother's dick once? no i don't know <laughs> but i'm just saying like it just it's very because i'm such a storytelling comic i i feel like i would definitely at one point tell that story yeah and like you but that's not that's that's the beauty of what you do when you do comedy you kind of but like that might happen yeah, yeah at some point but yeah. like i feel like you haven't you haven't got to that point yet or maybe you don't want to share that or yeah, maybe or it just hasn't come up hasn't, hasn't, yeah, come, up hasn't come up organically uh what do you feel about like when you go out on stage and uh, what's the moment that you felt the most comfortable? Can you re- re- like re- uh, remember the show or remember the moment that you were like, oh, I can do this. This is this is comedy or like you felt really comfortable mm. and felt like you were doing something that was true to yourself. Uh, it's all it's just like life. There's fits and starts, you know, there's, there's a lot of moments where I'm like in the zone. And then when you're not in the zone and you just try and or whatever you want to call that, you know, just that state of. Yeah. You know, acclimation to the whole thing. Because I heard comes and goes when I first moved here that there were stories of people, and you were one of the stories that came up. Was like, there's this guy that goes up at the boiler room or other mics, (laughs) and he just we don't know what he does. (laughs) We don't know why he does it, and we don't know what he does. Yeah, and it would be it would be comics like, and he and like he 
<laughs> he is not afraid of of not doing well at all. Yeah. And and it's not that he doesn't do well. It's just that he he's kind of just doing this thing in front of us more than whether whether or not he he's worrying about. Well, you doing, know, they're probably talking yeah. about like my first six months. Okay. Because like I did comedy in the early two thousands. Yeah. For like uh, a little under two, probably around two years, maybe yeah. two and a half years, three years at tops. And I did it very sporadically. I, I lived in Olympia, Washington, okay. and I would drive up to Seattle and Tacoma to, to do comedy. So it was a very tough. I have a comedy club up there. How's the open mic? At scene the time, over there? it was the there was the Comedy Underground in Seattle and the Comedy Underground in Tacoma. Okay. That since has become a different club, but uh, but yeah, and there was a place called Giggles in, in the U District that's yeah. no longer uh, in business, and that was kind of like the Harveys. Yeah. Comedy Underground's a little more hip, the Helium, but they were both. Cool, really cool. And other things, there were other mics. Not that much. Comedy was not the booming thing it is now, you know. So I would just drive up and do the two, those two mics yeah, and try and do it every week. And they'd put me on a lot because I'd sort of worked it out where, like, I'm not going to drive up and knock it on the mic because yeah. it's a fucking hour and a half yeah. you know, in my, on the freeway. So they, were, they worked with me and were like, you know, you come up every couple of weeks, we'll put you up. And so I would do that. And that was uh, revelatory. I loved it. You know, I was yeah. just like, oh, my God, this is the best because I'd have a good night every third time on stage. Yeah. I would do great. And, uh, and then the other times would just be total disaster. So anyways, that was that era. And then that went on and fizzled out. And I was drinking alcohol at the time and it was bad. And I just, you know, it was like, ah, I don't, just don't see any future in this. You know, yeah. I went on tour with a musician and did uh, comedy. I don't know. It yeah. was just weird. I didn't understand the process of doing stand up because I did, wasn't in a city where you could get into a yeah. scene and like really be a part of it. I was more like a dude who people knew who I was a little bit, but not much. What was the initial drive to start doing? Oh, the, the comedy, by the way. I'm sorry, go ahead, please. I should, fin- I should get back to the thing you actually asked because that was all a lead up to the answer to your question, which was about, or your comments about yeah. that weird stuff yeah. that you're describing. It, well, when I got back into it here, it was like um, just time where I just stopped, I just shut down my painting studio and mm-hmm. I stopped drinking around that time a little earlier. And I was just thinking, like, what were the things that I didn't do because I was, uh, I don't know, just didn't do at certain times? And I was like, stand up, I should go do that and see what it's like in Portland. Mm-hmm. So this would have been about three years ago. Yeah. And from that day forward, I've been, like, hitting the mics, basically, and doing shows five nights a week, you yeah. know, four or five nights a week. Um, from that day forward, like, on exactly, you know, yeah. like, just not even stopping once, you know, just... And, and so it was, like, a very much that emergence where, like, I came out and, like, suddenly, like, this dude's at every mic. And what I set for myself for the first six months was I just said, just do... Because n- I'm very, like, uh, methodical about thinking about it. Yeah. My... my practices really all over the place but my the methodology like as soon as I got into it it was like it's like going to college yeah and I had just gone to art school I went to art school as a 35 year old you know so I I, it's like so I just had this experience of the first time in a academic setting so in my mind I was like that's you know you go into like that and you're like um you know the first year you're just trying to figure out what you even want to study the second year you might pick a few things and kind of go those directions the third year you kind of pick like okay i'm going to focus on this and that and then like the fourth year you know try and produce something that's actually decent you yeah know? so that was my attitude was like dude and then you're only a bachelor's degree yeah. you know what i mean yeah and so but but that takes the pressure off like the first six months i'm like dude i'm only supposed to go up here and suck yeah 
that's all you're supposed to do in the yeah. first six months is get up and suck and have people hate you and think you're shitty, but yeah. be like maybe interested I, and maybe generate a cool idea or, t- or two. No, yeah. Tops. I think people forget that, that like, I think the acceptance that, that you accepted that you were going to suck is very, it's very interesting. That I, I think people try to fight against the, the, the like, like, even though they know they're going to fail, they're like, oh yeah, maybe, you want to be good. You yeah, know? but yeah, like but, right but away. I'm older and I don't have the, my ego wasn't involved. You know, yeah. I was just like, I do not care. And I also, I have like a long enough vision yeah. of my own self and like my life that I know how scenes work, you know, that like, if you're totally shitty for six months and then you start getting good and you're actually funny, people don't give a shit. It yeah. just doesn't matter anymore. And if you're nice, yeah, it, people don't care, you know? It's like... And so that was like the thing that, you know, a lot of people who are younger might be like, I don't want everybody to think I'm terrible and like not yeah. respect me because, you know, I'm trying to be respected and good yeah. at this. You know, I want to be awesome because I'm, you know, a 25-year-old dude who wants to plant his flag and have somebody recognize me or a 25-year-old woman, you know? And uh, whereas I was just like, I could give a damn and I know I'll be better in a year and in two years I'll be even better. And, and I always feel like the more risk you take and the less you're focused on like being good, the faster you'll get to something good. That is a perfect way to describe how you get more stuck out of the way. Go on stage. I was going to try like, like take, take more risks, like, like, and not be afraid. Like, I, when I watch you, I was like, I literally don't know where you're going to go sometimes. Neither do I a lot of the time. Yeah, and it's just beautiful to watch. It's fun, and, yeah. and sometimes it's, you know, it, it is, can be a disaster, it is but that, when it's it good, is that it's fun really fun. thing that, you, that we have to keep as entertaining. Because it can be, get kind of a scripty after a while. You know, you're like, it, like you, do a, you see some people, and some people have a beautiful, methodical way. I was telling one comic that I was watching him do the same joke, but it was kind of like way of the samurai, like kind of like yeah. when they make a sword, he's kind of bending the metal sure. and hitting it again and making it stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. And then sometimes you see the person just going through with no passion in the words that they right. used to just see. And it's like, it's very interesting to see every style. Uh, you had a very funny joke. I think it was on Twitter or uh, that comedy is not going to get big enough to their subgenres like metal. Yeah, yeah. I love that, uh, I love that yeah. tweet. It's very funny. Comedy's not going to fully have arrived as an art form until it has as many subgenres as metal. Yeah, or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, it was so funny. Yeah. I was like that is true because like uh, the only expectation is like either like either this person comedy's like either this person can be funny or not funny. Yeah, and that's that's basically the only requirement to show up. Are you going to be funny or not funny? Yeah. And then you have to figure it out. Yeah, there's. Well, I, well I, I like, you know, I just look at it like music a lot. Um, and you used sen- to do music, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was involved in music for many, many years. Um, and it's like music in the sense that, um, you know, there's a million ways to be an awesome band. You yeah. Know? I mean, ACDC, I, I often use this example, like, you know, ACDC, like n- seeing them do You Shook Me All Night Long exactly like they recorded it and exactly like they try and play it every night. Yeah. As tight as a drum. No ad-libbing maybe a little bit on the solo but you know basically just four on the floor there's nothing going to be better than that for that thing you yeah know? like that's great and then you see you know some noise music dudes with like instruments that they built themselves and yeah. are just taking you on a journey into some sort of just totally unknown sonic territory that might be the most incredible thing you've ever seen completely different yeah. everything about them except that their sound and one's not better than the other it's just about like it connecting with you at a certain groove that you like and it connecting with other people. And I and you can like both equally. Yeah. I mean, I love both. I listen to Bach, and I'll listen to noise music, and I'll listen to, you know, whatever, ACDC. And I love them all, and they're all amazing. And that's the way I'm with comedy, where it's just like, dude, uh, you don't have to... Um, yeah, be any one way, and and like and you know, I'll look at somebody like Ian Carmel. Obviously, everybody in Portland would watch Ian all the time, and how great he is, and like his style. You know, I'd always be like, maybe I need to do that. Like, write these perfect, fucking pieces that are just like 
so like an ACDC song. Yeah. It's perfect. Got all the hooks. It's got the place. It's him. It's in the voice and just nail it, you know? Yeah. But then I'm like, but that's maybe. And then I remember like there's a couple of comics that to me were a little bit of a revelation seeing mm-hmm. uh, was Rory Scovel and yeah. TJ Miller. And Rory Scovel, especially, he did like a, f- a, a week at, at uh, Helium. And I went to every show because I had, you know, friends that got me in for free. Yeah. And I just watched every set and saw that every set was completely different or very or similar in certain ways, but different. Totally able to tweak it one way or the other. One day he does the joke 30 seconds of it. Another day it's a five minute thing. Sometimes the audience is really interactive. Sometimes yeah. it's not. And I'm like, oh, that's just my more my style. And that's yeah. why I'm not, and it's not that he's my favorite comic of all time. He's one of them. But uh, it's more just the thing of like, I go, he's great, and uh, that's my natural direction is that kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about being like, you know, any one style. But it's cool to see people that do a style that you go, oh, there's a kinship there. There's a certain kind of connection. Yeah. And you see little bits of that in other people. You know, you might be like, oh, I'll see Kate Berlant. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's certain things about her that I share, certain things about that person. Yeah. And, but then at the same time, and maybe I'm being too yappy, but like at the same time, uh, you know, sometimes you go for a certain thing. Like mm-hmm. as an artist, I know this happens with bands where it's like, hey, let's get together and do a Southern Soul style thing. But you can't sound like a Southern Soul yeah. group. So you do your version of it and that becomes your music. Yeah. And it's totally, and maybe somebody else wouldn't even put together that that was an influence. So that can be a thing where I'm looking to write the Ian Carmel joke and I come up with my weird thing. Yeah. Which no. is not his, would not even look like that to somebody else. But in me, in my mind, his example brought me towards something at least cohesive definitely and understandable to a normal person it's that weird thing of, of finding something that you like maybe I should try this because I remember for years I was like a one-liner comic I remember uh-huh. uh, I was talking uh, about a you comic that I really a couple here yeah and there. every once in a while but and then but like I remember like I was like very we were talking about our comics that we missed on the Portland comedy scene I was talking about Tim Hammer oh, yeah. and I was just thinking I was like super not on the level that he's just a brilliant funny one-liner but I remember I would just go out in there because I was too afraid to open up mm. and too afraid to even like tell about my family or my life yeah. experiences and just it was so funny to like because I was afraid if maybe if my life wasn't interesting to be funny maybe that means I lived a uninteresting unimportant life yes. <laughs> and that was very worrisome for yeah. me for years and then like then when I finally did I'm like oh no this fits me more I don't know why yeah I actually do like That's, sharing yeah. a little more info sure. than I thought yeah what was the first uh Art venture that you went into. What was the first thing you you sought out? That Punk was either rock. Okay. I well, mean, I guess so. That would be the first. What? What? Uh, do you remember the night that you kind of went out? Did you go? Do you hear it live? Did you go to a record store? What? What was the? What was the need that you uh, were looking for? Well, America was a totally different place. Not totally different, but a different place. It was a different era. It was the early 1980s, and uh, you know the beginning of the Reagan era in the United States, and, and of course pre-internet. What did that mean? People like people say the Reagan era. People like and now that we have all these like neo. It was like a return. It was a lashback against the sixties and the seventies. It was saying like, okay, we've gone this direction of the sixties and seventies, and now we're going to reel it back and try and get back to the fifties. Yeah, it was more of like a button up kind of thing. Yeah, it just was a very like you know, let's get white power going fully. The seventies was like large collars. It was like a minimalization of everything. Don't. That's a very astute analysis of those decades. (laughs) (laughs) You pretty much just encapsulated. I'm on. I'm on. I'm on clothing now. I just. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm just wondering. Superfly 70s. Super, okay. And then just, but, just and like a, small uh, Whatever. 
It's a family. I'm going to have to read that book. Alan Thick in the 1980s. There you go. That's it. Oh, but I I just don't. Yeah, it was like a weird return. Like, let's get back to the 50s. Let's try and get back to America where white people were in charge and poor people were screwed and, you know, the birth of conservatism and, and you know, a movie star president. And so, I mean, it was a, it's a fascinating time. But for a kid, you know, it was like, oh, culture's boring, you know, and there's this exciting thing that was like, you know, American hardcore. Yeah, I was the only ask, thing like, that was interesting, and and it was, and you know, it's also impossible even to conceive of an underground movement today because the, the ground isn't it, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. There's nothing to hide underground. Back then, you know, punk rock was just a complete word of mouth thing that traveled. Yeah, if you missed it, you missed rumors. it. Yeah, and it was just you know, I mean, the huge bands of the time. Like I'd go see Black Flag in 1982. There's three maybe 300 people there probably yeah. less 250 maybe you know like a size of a good comedy show yeah that would be a black flag show in seattle you know and that was that way for all the 80s i mean i san diego california i'd see black flag in 86 it'd be you know 100 people there yeah i mean it was a small underground thing um huge shows would be you know 2,000 people at olympic auditorium or something i lived down in southern california too so i went to shows in la and san diego a lot um but yeah, so it was just, then that was my life. That became my life from age. And it fits perfectly for, you know, my generation of the kids. Everybody's parents were divorced. We're all latchkey kids. That's what I was going to say. You know? How was your, your home, home yeah. life at this time? Weird divorced kids, you know, yeah. shattered in some level. But then at the same time, you're just like in the suburbs. And you're, I mean, we were just like, you know, my parents are like working class people with educations who are yeah. like, you know, teachers and my teachers and librarians. That's my dad and my mom. So, you know, educated people, but public servants, yeah. you know. And so we lived normal suburban kind of, you know life and you just lash out against the stuntedness of things but then my mom lived in the city so i split my time between like urban tacoma in a very diverse school yeah. you know definitely just like white people were just like one section of it and then also totally white uh, suburbs of seattle so and back then like whiteness and blackness were so much more separate yeah. you know there's no hip-hop yeah you know so kids were like white kids in the suburbs listen to acdc led zeppelin black sabbath and black kids listen to cool and the gang zap and roger and tina marie and you know and so they're just different worlds yeah and until michael jackson there wasn't even like i didn't know any kids in the suburbs who listened to black music yeah which is amazing to think that about in america to about, today yeah. no black artists <laughs> what was your summer like did you ever look at a summer until as a michael teenager jackson where we're where just like i felt like this way and during a summer we're like it just there's too much time. I feel so stupid now. I go, God, it's just uh, three months. Not what do punk. I do? Not with punk. Because well, you would go I had to shows. Obsessions. Well, it was it was BMX was the thing I was super into. Biking, like yeah, the, BMX okay. racing on dirt tracks. Okay, uh, like first second generation BMX. Um, we didn't have skateboards so much. I mean, there were skateboards a little bit, but they were very specialty. And I only learned about skateboarding culture after punk. Yeah, because it just wasn't a thing in Washington. You know, yeah. what are you gonna do? Ride around in the mud? Uh, you know, yeah. it's like so. Anyways. <laughs> And it's wet, you know, whatever. It's not a natural skateboarding place. But um, so BMX was the jam. And then after that, it was straight into punk. And during BMX, I was super into music, like Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and psychedelic and hard kind of 60s music that I just got my hands on through adults, you know. And then punk was like, whoa, this is actually now and it's, you know, happening. And and it was a whole world. It was a whole social world that let me transcend my, like, um, I was, I've I've likened it to the internet. Like, we we were pre-internet connected the way other kids weren't because with punk you know a normal kid back then it was like maybe you'd meet other kids from other schools at summer camp or you would meet them uh, through some school sponsored pen pal thing but you'd basically just hung out with people who lived near you you know because they were near you and that's why and then punk was this way that you could be like i get to know kids in other cities through being pen pals it's all through punk it's all self-generated this band can stay at my house you know later when i was a little older as a teenager um, you'd meet kids, you go to downtown Seattle and you'd meet street kids and yuppie kids and yeah. everybody in between. And 
you know, so you had like street life elements to it that were exciting and dangerous and cool. And, and you're hanging out with, I'd hang out with kids who were like, you know, 19 and old dudes in college, 25 year olds, you know, yeah. when I was like 13. That must be and exciting. that made you yeah. feel so cool. Plus I was a burgeoning alcoholic. So you got to drink <laughs> like crazy all the time. You'd just be shit faced on University Avenue in Seattle, leaning against a wall, little punk kid at age 12, 13. That was what I was doing. That was me. I had no idea there was a punk pen pal like kind well, of the like fanzine revolution is as much it's like the unsung part of punk in like the larger you know you see all these see, see these movies about you know bands and stuff and, yeah and that's cool but like the way everybody got connected was through bands record labels uh, little indie labels that are now most of them still around a lot of them uh discord touch and go k um all the different millions of them hardcore and indie rock or whatever um, so there's that but then the fanzines were the yeah. other one it's just like you know you'd read a fanzine every city had a fanzine or something it, ranging from really well-produced ones to just, you know, photocopied, folded over things. Um, and then, then you meet people and you maybe send a letter in, talk about yourself. And Maximum Rock and Roll was a big one. And I worked for them, not in like a paid position, but I was part of that magazine for a long yeah. time. And me and my friend Martin did a fanzine. So fanzines were huge. It was like yeah. pre-internet internet. We had this access and it was international too. The whole, yeah. the whole like punk thing that was completely international. So I would meet dudes from Italy. We yeah. had a band stay with our, us from Italy called Raw Power. Yeah. You know, finished people, met all sorts of Europeans in San Francisco. So I, from, so punk led me out of the house really fast. Like I was, I was on my own uh, living in San Francisco by the time I was like 17. Yeah. I think that's a little something that people Reno. like forget about where it's like before the internet, like, like a letter going across the ocean oh, yeah. felt amazing. Well, a letter coming across the well, ocean and then to you. To you. Yeah. I mean, and I punks a, would fill their stuff with like stickers and yeah. weird fucked up flyers and stuff from, you know, like Italy and you know, punk flyers from Italy. Just be like so cool. Yeah. Like it was Christmas all the time. I would seriously like close. We had a mail slot, like uh -huh. a big one in our door in, in Tacoma in the urban house. And, uh, I would come home from school and I would open the door and I'd keep my eyes closed. Yeah. And then I would close the door and look down where the mail pile yeah. collected. And it, there would be like a seven inch, you know, box yeah. with like a single in it. It was just like, yes. Mail and was amazing. You'd wait like yeah. months for you it would. to arrive from Finland or whatever. Yeah. It was so cool. I remember just pen pals. I had a couple pen pals and I could not wait. Like you, There was something very exciting about like sending them letters and be like, where are you from? I think I had one in like Germany yeah. and one. And like you'd want to go as far, far back. And then you would talk to your friends yeah. at school about that. Like I was like, oh, I'm talking to Hans and he like yeah. lives in Germany. And, and like he has, he has food. He has three meals a day just like us. It was so yeah. this weird. Yeah, yeah. Like this thing that you could totally, for, I, I hadn't even thought about that in years about oh, how, yeah. how crazy that was. And to think about, so uh, fun. and, and with punk, imagine that. Cause you have like not yeah. only your favorite bands. Well, back then you could write yeah. to your favorite band. They'd write you back. Yeah. You know? that, I mean, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. well, who was the first band that wrote you back that like blew your mind? Like who was the, what was the first experience? What kind of music did they do besides punk? Like well, the what thing kind with of punk though is like that you always had access to those people anyways, again, yeah. because it was so small. Like, you know, the first time I went and saw black flag, I just walked backstage and, yeah. you know, hung out with them. Yeah. Cause I just, nobody's stopping you. It's not a big rock show you know yeah. you just like a door in a vfw hall and you walk through it and now you're sitting next to them while they all stretch and hang out and that's it yeah and they were you cool know? with it yeah they don't even notice yeah. i mean or they'd say like what's up yeah and you just sit down and you just chill it was like that's the you know that, that's it was like just these were like again rented vfw halls with shows yeah. going on we're just you know i mean some of the people that put on those shows back then are like major promoters now but they weren't then yeah you know they were just dudes with pas and like a little bit of business uh, you know, a little bit of promotion. Just a little bit of PA. Uh, yeah. I, like, uh, just a PA. What was Tip the first? Golden Voice. Golden Voice was a punk. I mean, Golden Voice, who puts on Coachella, that was a punk oh, rock. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the, one of the punk promoters in L.A. post maybe 83. 
they were the main ones. Yeah. They do the Fender's Ballroom, where I w- which I went to all the time. And they were they were a punk thing. You know, that's so interesting to think about. Tim Mays down in San Diego. He's a punk guy, hundred percent punk dude. He's like the promoter down there. You know, I've seen pictures of you from from your past. What did, were you primarily a singer? Did you play an instrument? Did you play the guitar? Uh, well, I never was in very many bands like back then. I mean, I had. Bands I thought I saw that were, a picture of you like you had longer hair. Yeah, that was just me in my room. I yeah. took that photo. Um, I I did a lot of music. Um, Mostly later, like in the 90s, uh, early 90s, yeah. when I moved to Olympia. I moved to Olympia in 92. Ran around, like, just after Nirvana had left Olympia and before Riot Girl, Girl became a worldwide phenomenon. So right yeah. after that was taken off. First time I went to Olympia was the IPU Festival, which was this big festival that Nirvana actually didn't end up playing, but they were scheduled to yeah. at one point. But so that was kind of the milieu I moved into in Olympia. I lived with Calvin Johnson, who runs K Records. Met him through Fugazi, Ian Mackay, who's a friend of mine who I've known since, again, through Pen Pals, since yeah. I was like uh, probably 15 years old. Yeah. And that's how it was back then. What was in one? In terms of being able to talk to your. What mentors. was your uh, f- favorite form of media? Was it, what, you, were you listening to LPs? Were you listening to cassette tapes? Were you, were you passing around mixtapes? Vinyl, uh, vinyl and, and mixtapes. Yeah. What I was. Mean, what was we the call them compilations. You yeah. Know, you just make them for your friends. And just put on punk records that you, you would like. have that little space. I remember, like, I would uh, make mixtapes for my friends. There was a lot of little space they gave you for fun, like blank yeah. CDs, and you would like have so, so much art. fun. Yeah, you'd make yeah, stuff it was with so them. Much well, fun. Not, these weren't CDs; were cassettes. But I'm talking about. Oh, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about cassettes too, where it's yeah. like you would just make. Yes. I mi- you'd make uh, your own sleeve. You know, you only had the, the area around yeah. the, the CD. I would like yes. decorate that. But I remember on the cassette specifically, yeah. you would you'd have all these little lines yes. that you would like make the a little J card. Yeah, it was great. I didn't even know what it was called, but like J card. I was in the industry. I worked at Alternative Tentacles Record for for Jello Biafra, and I worked at K Records. So. And I was very loyal to a brand. I think I did Maxells. Maxells were good. Yeah, so I did Maxells exclusively, and it was so much fun to record things off the uh, off the uh, radio or yeah. just time it right. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, stop, DJ's gonna stop talking yep. now. Yes. Or I would record things off. Of, I remember watching like early, early Simpsons episodes and trying to get the songs mm-hmm. off the Simpsons episodes. Yeah. And my mom was like, "What are you doing?" And I'm Audio like, "You're engineering." I'm like, your mom, you're ruining it. And they're like having like, and then having that. Yeah. That's somewhere in my bedroom box that my mom now collects is like me yelling at my so mom cool. for like talking about like I love the fact that and I think I've always been uh, in love with the fact that you could just record your voice and hear yes. yourself from a different time in your that's, life that's so cool what is what is what is something that you just like you do this thing and like I feel like your your comedy is this thing that like kind of like punk in the fact that like if, if you miss that performance of Jason Traeger's comedy you might never see that again yeah what that's true for every performance of every performer. That's not there anything is some to do performers. with me. I, I worked with some. I worked with some people. I mean, like, yes, you, there's people that. I yeah. mean, on some level, though. Yeah. There's going to be different energetics, even yeah. if the person's doing the same word for word thing. It's not going to be actually be word for word. How do you feel about the idea of permanence? You do you feel like I feel like you're not a big fan. You're like, eh, it's, you're like permanence. You're like, yeah, just, I'm just saying. Like, um, we go, we went endless one way, and then we're now we're saying like, do you do you want to leave behind something? No, I could care less. So you don't care if like it was like you don't want to like. YouTube, like when, when, when you pass away, nah. like if there's YouTube records of you or, or, or journals, people, how do we, what do you people, what do you want people to know about you when you're no longer on, uh, on the I planet? Zero. Uh, it's purely, no, it means nothing to me. Okay. I, I couldn't even, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things where I'm like, what is even life and death? I don't yeah. know. What the hell is it? Yeah. To even, su- to even suggest like, I mean, there's so much belief system yeah. involved in even conceiving of reality as like when you're gone and this is all continuing yeah. without you, <laughs> what do you want to be remembered by? That's like saying like, if if a ghost said he thought you were a dickhead, <laughs> would you take that seriously? And I'd be like, no, what are ghosts? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, I mean, literally, that's what I think because I'm like, I'm like, I have no idea that this continues without me. Yeah. I don't even know what then without me would be. Yeah, I don't know what it means when I'm asleep and nothing's happening. You know, I mean, 
and that's and so I mean, I really take and that's like a that's how I really think about things. And so so those kinds of things like the idea of like I find it very it almost seems medieval to me when yeah. people because my dad will say stuff to me like you know I want to be remembered by my grandkids for this and for that and I'm like. And I and it sounds to me almost like saying yeah. like when I get to heaven and I'm sitting with Jesus at his throne yeah. of gold, I'm just like, is that really? It's just a way of looking at things. Yeah. But it seems really normal and it seems really like reasonable. But then on my hand, I'm like, how do you know that there's anything but this right now at all, even ever? Because yeah. we probably are dead now. And why would you say we're not? Yeah. There's no evidence of that. Uh, you know, I'm just a weirdo. I'm psychedelic. No, it's weirdo. good. And. Uh, I, I, the reason I say that is just because like uh, I watch everything that you do, and do you want to take it? Do you get some more water? We can pause real quick, and you can get some more water if you like. Oh, it's okay. Okay, uh, I was just noticing because like you do have like kind of a, I don't mean to be if this sounds condescending. I don't mean to. I don't mean it that way. You have like a childlike vision when you take a picture of like nature, mm-hmm. or you, when I follow you. I follow you on uh, many facets of, of childlike media. is not condescending to me. Childish might be. Okay, <laughs> I, 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 I just want to make sure I'm saying the right. You know, yeah. I'm always. I'm always. Well, I come from Latino people where we're like we're nervous about everything we yeah, do. Sure. So me me throwing anything, I'm like I'm sorry if this hurts your feelings. That's not my intention. Yes, of so, course. Yeah. I would not take yours. Uh, but like no, way. you like a sense of whimsy. You take a picture of a flower and say, "This is look at that, look at how the way the petals open up this and like." Yeah, you, I don't see that as whimsy. I definitely. see see it as I mean childlike vision sure well, take, just like the, appreci- the appreciation of things yeah. that like people maybe pass up from time well, to time whimsy's light though and I feel like my experience is more like uh, erotic you know yeah. it's like I see the the world of I see beauty and I it's like moves me like more in a, almost erotically than it does like uh, you know like oh that's I mean, sometimes it's whimsical and funny, and it's elf. Yeah. But but I think of it as like it's like a fairy vision, like a elfy vision of the world. And I definitely have, and it's hard to like. I don't have a brand for it, but I just yeah. feel like in my own mind, like I'll sort of feel like I got a bit of the fairy about me, a bit of the elf. You what know? Do, yeah. I, what does I, that mean? Like you're just connected to like just when you see a beautiful yeah, flower so, or something that's a little fucked up and weird. Like you know, like I think of like okay, it's almost like a zen. Th- like um, there's a term in Japanese. Uh, Aesthetics. Yeah. That's did you see? I want you to show this one. I my, right there. What I said about Zen you. calm. I wrote that down because I was like, you do have like a sense of calmness. That's my act. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm writing am, your bio I'm as we speak calm right now. But uh, I get worked up. Believe me. But um, <laughs> uh, okay, it's called wabi sabi. Okay. And it's this idea in Japanese aesthetics that I'm going to butcher. I'm, I'm sure, sure. But basically, the way I understand it is kind of like beauty in the imperfection. You know, like a vase. It's an ancient vase is beautiful, but if there's a little perfect hairline crack down one side of it, it's a little more beautiful. Yeah, because it's there's some element of imperfection or yeah. tragedy or whatever. It's like the it suggests the whole thing's going to be gone someday. You know, which is the truth of reality yeah. in in our belief system about it. Um, so it's uh, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like it's like, and that's the way I see like this when I say like I, I feel like I just am touched with this fairy like elfish vision. Yeah. Is it's more like a wabi sabi where it's like to me you can't put my finger on. It. It's not obvious. It's not like oh Hallmark Victorian fairies. That's a very fairy thing. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. that's not fairy. It's kind of like Brie Pruitt's funny thing about like you know when she what's gen- a boy and yeah, what's, what's a girl. boy and what's a girl. Yeah. yeah, potatoes boy, French fries girl. Yeah, you know and that's exactly what I'm talking that's about. So funny. And so for me, you know, it'll be like like a David Lynch movie. I go, that's fairy. You know, yeah. it's like what's around the corner. I'm not quite sure who's that guy. Yeah. What's his thing about? It's a little odd. It's a little off. It might be disturbing, but it's like interesting, and you yeah. don't know where it's going. And that's the way I feel about like flowers or you know plant forms or cool comedy shows or slinky music or you know 
punk rock weirdos or whatever, you know, like the edges and the strange. I was going to say, yeah, the edge. You know, if you see a car and it's got three hubcaps, but one happens to be gold, what the fuck? <laughs> is this a dream or is yeah. this real? You know, if you ever get those little glimpses where you're like, that person was weird, you know, yeah. what the hell was she talking about? You know, those are like fairy moments yeah. to me. Like it's just a little off and you've got a glimpse of that other world. You've yeah. seen through the veil just for a glimpse. And that's all you really need. I don't care about like living on the other side of the veil. I think that would be horrifying. But I like splitting the veil and just stepping over. And that's yeah. what comedy is about for me. That's what, uh, you know, I've always been interested in. That's what art's about. That's what creativity, that's what human interaction can be about. That's what uh, taking drugs would be about. It's like, it's the most interesting thing to be like, let's slip around the veil and kind of go on either side of this thing. Yeah. You threw around, threw around the word erotic. What is, I feel like, to, to me, it means one thing, but what does it mean to you? Like when you see like a flower or you see nature or you see like you said you're left up fair. Like I know you were well, saying flowers just now. flowers look like pussies. That's what oh, I mean. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever noticed some yeah, of them? I, do. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we were on the same level. Um, no, but yeah, erotic is just, I think, like a way of you know, seeing things. Is it like the being, it's kind of like, you know, like fetishes, visual fetishism, you I, know? For me, like when erotic, like you ever call someone like when you're a very young child and you get a phone call from someone you like and you kind of get that weird tingle up and down your mm -hmm. body? Like that's what I feel like is erotic. Like you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm talking. That would be an element. And my sure, voice, a, um, my voice is going into their ear, yeah. and oh, yeah. their voice is going to my ear. And there's something very like oh, yeah. sexy about that. And you're like, oh, and, like they're listening to me and yeah. only me right now. Or you sure. think it's that weird connection totally. thing? That's what it means to me. So yeah. I don't know if that that's, that's what it means to you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what the definition is of it, but to my mind, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Where yeah. you get a little tingle, you get a little uh, turned on by something. Yeah. And it's not necessarily you get into chubs. Yeah. It's just that thing of like no, it's, it's just almost, like it's almost to me, it's almost related to frustration. Okay. Because there's an element of it, like, there's an itch I can't scratch. Yeah. I can't paint every flower. I can't tell every joke. I can't have sex with every woman that yeah. is interesting to me. I can't, you know, you're always being held back from all these things that, and some, and, and the most profound in some ways is just beauty, where it's like, what do you do in the face of this thing? Yeah. Of this beauty. And it's like, can be something as, as you know, mundane as what you can, whatever, or, or it can be something profound. Yeah. It can be sexually charged. It can be more aesthetically yeah. pleasing. You know, I mean, there's not all these words that describe states and kind of ideas. They're, you know, they're just pointing in a direction, really. Yeah. You know, so when you say, like, I mean, there's times where I'll be seeing a comedy show and I'm like, this is. I'm turned on, you know, not yeah. not sexually, but like I'm. Oh, all, you're there's in a it. lot of you're pheromones like, well, going I, on. I always say it's like good. in it, like the crowd is in it, like it just like there's yeah. this, yeah. And that's what comedy's about, and that's why you know, I mean, a million people have made jokes about sex and comedy, and I have, yeah. And uh, because you know, that's the thing, it's you're, you're tickling someone's ear hole yeah. with vibrations and turning them on and yeah. making them do things that that are, uh, you know, involuntary spasms yeah. of delight. I, that's kind of what my joke was about. I've never done that one well a couple times, maybe, <laughs> but you know, it's like yeah. It's almost too obvious to even care too much about, but yeah. it's yeah. And so I guess yeah, that's that's part of my vision is definitely a huge part of it is you know it's part of getting into life you yeah. know and not overthinking everything because I mean also eroticism in what way I'm thinking about it and the fairy vision like I'm talking about um, it is a way of making life tolerable not just tolerable but actually enjoyable kind of like uh, like every once in a while you get you get like kind of stuck or stuck in routines something just kind of like shakes you out you're like yeah well um, the culture is always bumming i mean if, if you really just were invested in the culture and its ideas i don't know how any sane person could couldn't be just totally distraught and you bummed. just freaked me out when you said like there are things there there are people that you'll never meet there are foods that you'll never be able to take like there's all these things that you won't be able to do and oh, like yeah. we live life in spite of that fact and, it's, and it's it can incredible. be wonderful yeah, yeah you don't need to go to cambodia and see yeah. angkor wat to be 
be a complete person, you know? Yeah. It'd be an awesome experience, maybe. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't yeah. know. But, but like, no, I mean, you've got to find these things where you are because, I mean, you're, everybody's got limits. Everybody's got things. And the world doesn't need people flying to every single interesting place. Yeah. We need people to be sticking around making places interesting. Yeah. That helps the world. That helps environments. That helps human beings. You know, travel less, stay home more, and do more interesting things when you're home. Yeah. That's, a, that's kind of a philosophy. That goes back to the organization thing about, like, take out, take out what's not needed and make the things yeah. that you do need more important in your and, life. And do less trips and have the ones you do do be really meaningful. Yeah. Not just checklists or whatever. And now I'm giving advice and orders to people and I feel pretty powerful <laughs> about it. <laughs> I was going to say the I'm first time... I'm in control time, now. I remember seeing you in the first time I really remembered you was, was... And I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I'm trying to... When I do this thing, I'm trying to remember the first time I ever met these people that I interviewed. And I can't remember the first time we ever met. I feel like just it was probably a day that you were with your camera and you were taking photos yeah. and I probably turned around that was and then an became, era of comedy you you were taking com- you were you, you you did this beautiful little tumbler called the uh, the Portland comedy yep. scene what is it Portland stand up comedy photo yeah. album and it was all in black and white yeah. was that on before purpose before that I did a sketchbook one too yes Portland you did I do remember that mm-hmm. and you would you would go and I heard about that it's like oh you would go and sketch people yeah. and I, I think I, there was a sketch of me that I you started did. that the first night I came back to comedy yeah. part of it is because I don't drink alcohol okay. and I didn't have any friends because I yeah. didn't know anybody how long have you been sober about Three and a half years right now. Okay. Yeah. Congrats. It's been great. Yeah. yeah. I do smoke marijuana occasionally. Yeah. But uh, that's never. That's not the problem. Yeah. It's fine. It's great. It works great for my life. Uh, alcohol just did clean yeah. my hands of it and just like done with it. Yeah. And I never crave it. Never want it. And I see that. I don't see that changing. That's good. And it feels great. Yeah. Yeah. And so you started sketching and w- and uh, what was the, what was the kind of the idea behind that? You just wanted to kind of like capture a little bit of like you're talking about like like when everyone's in it. Did, well, what? it was just for me. I I, I treasure my time. And okay. I like to use my time as wisely as possible. And and with mics, you know, you can listen to people while doing something else like yeah. sketching. You can't do it while you're reading. Yeah. You know necessarily. But uh, you can do it while you're drawing, and it's fun to draw people. I like to draw. I'm an That's artist. That's very interesting. You know, I never I thought about that way. So yeah, just and and also realizing you're like oh, I'm probably not gonna have a lot of friends in this scene immediately because yeah. I'm gonna be fucking weird and like annoying probably to people. My act, you know, and I just also I don't yeah I don't good I you know I didn't start doing comedy just like I want to be in a scene with a bunch of people you know it's like my thing was like I want to do this thing. And the friends will come. Yeah. It just does. It yeah. just, I know how things, you know, you, again, I'm older. I know how things work. You know what I mean? Like how things Oh, no, function. definitely. So I, so I want to keep myself occupied. And also, I want to give something back. So, like, I'm a good enough drawer, uh, artist, and sketchbook person that uh, I can actually take a, I've done pretty, I'm pretty proud of some of my likenesses of Portland people. Yeah. So, you know, give it to a person. People always like it. It yeah. helps you make friends. Yeah. You're like, I'm giving you a drawing of myself. Use it on your, I mean, there's one point there where, you know, half of Portland comedy had either my drawing or my photo of them for their Facebook thing. And I was one of them. Yes. That's the way I like to, you know, you like to contribute. I mean, the scenes, everybody thrives on, you know, people connecting each other, contributing other talents, you know, I don't just do this. I also do web design. Great. Help me with this flyer. And I'll help you with, you know, getting this thing PA or whatever. And that's how, that's how punk worked. Yeah. You know, and that's, is put together. Why did you feel like black and white photos? Did you do that on purpose, by the way? Well, part of it was like I just thought I, I I didn't start with them. I started with color. Okay. And I wasn't very good. I, I learned photography doing that blog. Okay. Know, I really didn't know how to use my camera very well. It was a camera that I bought to take pictures of paintings when I was doing oil painting primarily. Um, uh, so yeah, I just trying to learn how to use it. You had a really nice balance of uh, and I capturing and light and capturing these little moments that I think like definitely like you were saying earlier, like 
capturing someone's laugh, like mm. you would get Adam oh, yeah. Posse, like comedian Adam Posse's laugh, or Iris in the back talking yeah. to uh, Kristen Mandeville, like all sure. these little moments. Well, that's kind of what I focused on, just yeah. in terms of like, you know, we don't need a million photos of everybody well, with even, a mic even in their just hand like a picture of their, even a picture of like someone's hand writing yeah. their set list sure. out or something. These yeah. little little perspectives. Well, it's a documentary, that you, you, know? Yeah. So, you know. When you're at a comedy show, you're not just staring at a person with a microphone the whole night. You're looking yeah. at people writing in their books. You're looking at people hanging out. You're looking at people laughing and yawning, being bored, being whatever. And so I was just kind of like, well, I'm documenting this whole experience, not just yeah. like, you know, a person talking on a mic. That's just one aspect of the experience. It's a big one. But and so and then as a painter, it's like fun to. Yeah, I'm, I'm I have talent and, and skill. I've worked on it. So, you know, I've made it in. I'm I like composing images. You know, yeah. it's like a joke. You know, you find a nice rhythm to something and, you know, placing things in a certain order. And you can find. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where photography shines. And of course, with digital photography, you know, part of the thing is just take a lot of photos and, and then edit, you know, get rid of a bunch of ones and pick yeah. a few that are good condo the photos that's what i did every night and i stopped doing that project just because i was at a place where it's like oh, i don't want to be the photo guy i want to be a comic you know no it was 100 and i did it for almost two years yeah. i think so i was like two years in the life of a comedy scene that's my job that's what i did yeah. and now that that can just and it was a cool time it was and like, it still lives on and yeah, it still yeah, lives on and, and it's going to be a great document of a time because i mean there's so many talented people yeah i mean a lot of people you know got already gone out of here to do great things yeah. Ian, ron whatever tons of people um, so and I so many people in the scene that I'm like God I can see any of you guys being yeah. like you know you fucking having an NPR show and being like you know fucking known dude <laughs> internationally you know what I mean it's yeah. no question and you're one of like 15 people that I'm oh, like this, oh that guy could do scene, it she could do it the scene is intense it. like immensely talented oh yeah it, it, but it just, it just it just letting the people like find who they are yeah. and finding what's, imp what's important the to all of them. It's mid-sized yeah. city to yeah. get good as a comic before you move on to... What are, what are your goals, but we gotta, we've been talking for about an hour. We've got to go to a com we gotta go to a comedy show after this, but um, what like goals may be a silly word. Like, I, you run a show with with uh, a very funny comedian, Brandy Fight, yes. uh, New Deal. New Deal Distillery. Why did you want... It didn't seem like something you would want to do. Oh, I work there. Okay. Yeah, that's why it's just kind of funny that yeah. I, I make uh, spirits and I don't drink them. Um, but yeah, it's just a nice place. They put on a good show. It's a beautiful, like, and a beautiful stage yes. to put behind. To we be ever behind. Had you at the show? No, I know, but it's it's We're like I've, have I've, you on the show. oh no worries. But like we'll it was like it's an awesome. It's an awesome uh, show. I wa I watched the pictures that were taken over there, and I watched how beautiful like to be behind a gigantic yeah. copper. It's nice. Distill like still it's very it's distinctive. Yeah. yeah, they have a big, huge. And you were included. Your show got included in the Bridgetown Comedy. Yes, Fest. it was this year. And so that was, that was cool. What brings you joy by doing that? We'll end up with that. We'll, like, well, what brings you joy? Same thing. Yeah. Same thing about giving back and having creating opportunities. You know, whenever uh, it sounds really like I'm a paternal figure, I, maybe I am because I'm just happen to be older, but like I'm young in comedy. But then whenever younger people in comedy, you know, six months in, ask me like, you know, "What's the way to get on shows? How do I advance? How do I?" You know, yeah. I'm always uh, the answer is always the same. You know, there's it's just do your best, work hard, show up all the time, let people see you, and let people see you be good. Yeah, and contribute something else to to other people yeah. cause you know and put on a mic host a show give, give other people opportunities to shine and then they will naturally like you and appreciate you and be like yeah. this guy is not just taking or this woman is not just taking she is uh offering opportunities for yeah. me and then you it just it's a currency of you know helping opening up is very hard to do but once you do it it's very 
it's very rewarding. Like I remember people like were really weirded out about me. They're like, we don't know what you do, or like you just show up and you do your jokes and you leave. And I'm like, and then I started hanging out with people, yeah. and it's just like, oh yeah. And then I, but I, I'm still, I'm still trying to open my. This is a, yeah. this is an opportunity to f- figure out how I do things more and more. Sure. How I do things when I'm not on a stage. How do I just talk to a person? How do I share thoughts? How do I share memories yeah. with people? Yeah. And I feel very good about doing this. I've gotten really good responses back when I do this. That's great. Um, but it's just, it just, it really is interesting when, when once you figure out where it's, it's going to sound weird like not fitting in but just where what you do like going back to the whole clothing thing what you do and making that small thing that you do as as important to the whole scheme of things as possible maybe that's not a weird yeah. way to think to say um, but, uh, I think you know, I'm talking about like a, 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 yeah um yeah, well, you know, that's what we have in life. I mean, most of us. We're not going to be able to do yeah. everything, not so we might as well be able to do. Yeah, I just did a tweet the other yeah. day that's like, yeah, you, you can do it all, but you'll just do all of it not very well. Yeah. As, you know, and I feel like that. I mean, but, yeah, and you got you have to pick. And then ultimately, you know, most of us, I mean, some people are fortunate to, or whatever, have the circumstance where they're looked to as uh, you know, a big fish or whatever, and that's cool. I mean, and there's all sorts of different um, levels of that. But the most of us, we just have our little thing yeah. and our world that we do. And, and if you're an artist or a creative person, a musician, a comic, you know, you got your little deal, you work on it, yeah. and you get good, and you want to present it as well and to as many people probably as possible. Yeah. And that's just a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's like tending your own little garden and, you know, and you got to have some pride in it and plant it the way you want it and have it look the way you want it. It can be prickly cactus garden and look amazing, or it can be all soft and you know yeah. downy, and that could be amazing too. But just make it yours and and totally own it and take care of it. And that's you know the thing that I think like with with comedy, it's a great it's a, it, that's what I see. Like when I watch these shows where there's six comics, you know, a showcase or a contest where there's yeah. twelve or something like last night here, that was a fantastic show. Um, I'm always like, oh, I'm, these are little zones, yeah, you know, little human zones that just and the way that like the energy person comes out and goes, click, this is the zone you're in now. Click, here's another zone. And when you're at Bridgetown, it's like Jesus Christ, I've yeah. just experienced. And you were fantastic at Bridgetown. Oh, by thank the way. you so much. I appreciate. Oh my God, it. I thank love you. your shows that I saw, and the one at the tent was amazing. Oh, thank you very much. But, uh, yeah, you killed it. I um, mean, like Bridgetown, you know, that's one of those ones where you're just like, dude, I just saw 40 zones in the yeah. course of like three days, and it's overwhelming. It is a weird. It, it, it gets weird so energy. surreal by yeah. like, the end of it, where you're just like, another person was thought and weird energy and cool you know it's amazing and it's a gift to be able to to have anybody be interested in your particular zone and 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 you like i think you were getting at this is that like you know in through comedy one yeah. of the best things about it and one of the most interesting things about it is ultimately and this not to, at the risk of sounding pretentious about it but i think it's undeniable you learn about yourself yeah. through doing it it's it's a it's a Maybe you don't. Maybe some people don't do it that way. Not I'm sure they don't. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't. But if you're doing a certain kind of comedy that's actually exploring what's important to you yeah. on some level, you can't help but like learn about yourself. Definitely. You just can't help. Yeah. Because you know you got to strip away shit. You got to figure out shit. You got to g- learn what you want to be, who you want to talk, how you want to talk. And so in that respect, it's like you know it is a path of inquiry. You know, yeah. it's a it's a field of exploration of self in relation to people, in relation to. Uh, pressure in relation to time, in relation to crowds and friends, and it's all in there. So, and that's the kind of stuff that interests me. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that stuff. Uh, unfortunately, we ran out of time, but I want to say thank you so much. And like I said, just sharing sharing everything that you shared with me. It's, it's um, um, uh, 
very very uh, amazing pleasure to share being your little zone right now well, with thank this you. little zone I that feel we're the never same about this and zone. I want people to like go see your you have a little interesting uh, YouTube v series that I really like. It's a lot oh, of very putting on some kaleidoscopic and yeah. like kaleidoscopic and very fun and, and uh, was that are you doing the original music for that or is it a uh, it's music? mostly my friend Matt Carlson. It's very great. And I, what Thanks. is the name of that? Studio Traeger. Yeah, go it's check like, that out on it's YouTube. It's a new project. I'm learning how to use uh, He's After very Effects. funny on uh, Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Very, go, go check out his, his photography on uh, Tumblr. When does this, this go up? This goes up tomorrow. Okay. I'll also be at Helium Comedy Club hosting for Brent Morin there all week from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Come out to those shows. If you're in Portland, they're yeah. going to be great. And come say hi. What, you, don't, right? you don't mind people coming up and say hi to you? Oh, of course not. Yeah. I'd love to hear from anybody. So thank you so much. we got to get out of here. We're going to go do a comedy show right across the street. And uh, have a great night. And thank you so much, Jason. I want to shake your hand right now. And thank you, David. We'll talk to you again real soon, guys. Mm -hmm.